Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. edition of the Michael Deacon program. Joining us tonight is Ingrid Newkirk, the founder of PETA. For those that don't know, she's a British American animal activist and the president of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, the world's largest animal rights organization. And without further ado, bring her right in. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm glad we're both here. I'm glad Mike is here with me as well. As you know, he is the co-host here. So, Mike, I hope you're doing well out there. I hope both of you are doing well out there. And uh, Good Mike, afternoon to you, Michael. Yeah. Good afternoon, or wherever you are, Ingrid, I'm not sure, but good afternoon to you as well. It's uh, an honor to meet you. I, I greatly respect and appreciate what your organi- uh, organism, what your organization <laughs> does. So much gratitude and uh, kudos to you. Oh, thanks very much. I'm actually in Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, okay. So you're on my side of the country. All right. I'm in Pennsylvania. Ah. Way out in the East Coast, we've been looking forward to our interview with you. And as you know, I'm Michael Deacon. My co-host is Mike Hideous. That's his name. He's actually a handsome man, despite the name. <laughs> yes. As Now, as we begin, there's no shortage of topics to discuss, but we'll keep it entertaining and informative. And of course, you are the author of 14 books. Is wow. that correct, um, Ingrid? That is correct. I mean, one of them is a cookbook, so that's pretty easy. <laughs> you have a cookbook? I didn't Everybody even know. Everybody eats, so there we are. And a couple of them are children's books about how to save the animals. And then my last one before this was actually about cats, how to make your cat appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. um, the one before that was called Animal Kind, and that was a sort of pun on humankind, right. is that we need to get over ourselves, that we're all in this together, and the our capabilities, the talents, the uh, everything that animals can do, there's so oh. many amazing things right. that uh, we should respect them, and now comes free the animals. Very I nice. Gotta, I got to say, I'm going to take I'm going to take a a, a a a reach here, go out on a limb and say that cookbook was probably vegan, right? 
That would be a pretty good guess, yes. <laughs> you know, we're, Peter is 42 years old, 42 and a half. And we had one of our first books was a cookbook. And back then, you know, you couldn't wander into a supermarket and spend 10 minutes staring at the plant milk aisle, deciding whether you wanted oat or macadamia or soy or coconut or whatever. You just you had to make your own soy milk at home with a powder and a whisk. So things have changed. And now you really don't even need a cookbook unless you want to veganize your favorite recipes. There's so much available, every taste alike under the sun. Right, especially out here in Southern California. That's all you find out here, which I'm not complaining uh, one bit. But I, I got to be honest, I'm not a vegan. Um, I've tried. Hurry up, Michael, hurry up. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm I'm trying to limit myself, to be quite honest. But, you know, I still love eating meat. I got to be, got to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, again, I am trying I am trying Look, to limit myself. I know you can try harder because I grew up in the UK. The beginning of my life was in the UK. And roast beef, of course, was our big thing. And oh, I yeah. always made my father cut the really well-cooked end off because I didn't like to see the blood. But I really liked meat. And my father was a gourmand. So oh, he loved calves' brains on toast. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And oh. I grew up loving liver. I would go out of my way to get liver oh, and onions. I used to love liver. Liver, yeah. And we used to go out in Devon on the rocks and pick mussels and eat those. My mother would be just nauseated at the smell. But when you see inside a slaughterhouse, if you oh care God. about animals, you just think, I think I'll find something else to eat now. I don't want to put my money into that. It's horrifying. It, 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 I, I got to tell you, I'm a true fan of horror films, and I can watch anything. But when it, in my older age, it, I'm 55 now. When I was in my mid 30s, prior to that, I used to be able to watch television shows about animals and how lions would attack the gazelles and the zebras and so on and so forth. And after a while, I became so sensitive to watching animals any animal suffer now i gotta be honest with you as well ingrid i am not a vegetarian okay i have tried it but i do my damnedest to do my part what I, am i going to do with you well, guys before I'm you, have before to you send judge you food hang on before food. you judge before you judge <laughs> i want you to know uh back about a decade ago I was the supporter of more than 35 different animal sanctuaries and rehabilitation centers across the, the, the country, if not the globe. Um, that was at a time when I had more money. I was able to donate to them constantly. As a matter of fact, I just made a donation to PETA. Oh, what was it? Maybe four months ago. I have my PETA calendar hanging up right here. <laughs> That's so, so funny. Yes, I was affiliated with all that. So what I'm trying to say is I do my best. For what I can. Um, it's not that difficult, this has anything though, to do with know. it, but I, I was a cancer patient many years ago, and if I did, I, I tend to, I tend to get a little bit more sick when I don't eat meat. Now, <gasps> having, I know, I know. Hang on. You've got to get oh. a new doctor. I respect everything you're saying. I do, but I just want to come clear and say, I highly respect those who do what they can to help animals. I do oh, yeah. it myself. I do eat meat. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to admit that, but I, I am constantly saving animals out here where I live. All right. 
Okay, you have to give me a minute here. Of course, it's all yours. Because I also tip my hat to anybody who does anything. Take a turtle off the road. Great, thank you so much, not for running the turtle over again. I, I really do. I think everybody needs help. But you know, in my books, I say, in the preachy ones, I say that you can give thousands of dollars a year to animal protection groups. And with all due respect, because I did it myself, Right. but if you go to the grocery store and the drugstore and the clothing store and you pay money, which will be more than that in the long run in a year, to have other people do the horrific things that go on in slaughterhouses and fur factories and leather, all that stuff, then you undo. And more than undo, this good stuff that you're doing, it's not hard. Guys, it is so easy. I will do everything I can to make you have every taste you've ever wanted. And I do think you should get another doctor because (laughs) cancer is linked to dairy products. Oh, my. Oh, you're right. Yes. You're right. Well, that is true. And I have seen some slaughter videos myself online, not not on purpose. Those were just videos that were put out there randomly, and I ended up seeing them. And yeah, it's quite horrific. Yeah, I don't like it at all. And Ingrid, I must say, you're right. Um, Ingrid, you've been criticized for all sorts of things. Some people praise you while others don't think so highly of you. And I got to say, you're in good company here. We are disliked by many and loved by few. Yeah, that's life, isn't it? It really is. It really is. The internet gave birth to millions of trolls who are sitting there with (laughs) absolutely nothing to do in their mother's basement. That's right. Absolutely. And (laughs) we've given them employment now. That's right. And, you know, these things are all things we learn to accept and appreciate on this journey. And, of course, you're the founder of PETA. And is it true that there are about six million members? It's actually closer to 9 million Holy now. crap. Oh, bless all of you. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know the numbers bless were that you. high. I, I, take it you've had, I, I take it you've had numerous death threats come your way. Yeah, the um, HBO did a documentary about Peter and me called I Am an Animal, and they made me read some of my delightful hate mail. Oh, nice. At the, be- <laughs> at the beginning of it and at the end of it. And it is so appalling. I mean, you only have to laugh. It's so bad. Sure. But every sexist, homophobic, I mean, anything you can think of, any kind of hatred you could throw into a letter, these creative people did. And in addition to that, of course, we have very serious threats. Yeah, I I can imagine. We turned them over to the FBI. My God, has has there ever been an incident where someone physically tried to harm you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a man sit for four hours waiting for me in reception with a backpack loaded with bullets and a very large gun. Yikes. Um, He also tried to take me out at a march in Washington when I took the podium, but the park police were on the lookout for him and were able to arrest him there, too. Good. How much time did he end up doing? He didn't. He's a psychiatric Ugh. patient. Oh, my God. I was just going to ask yeah. you, was he acting under his own sort of free will or did he work for someone? But you're just saying he's probably a lunatic. 
Yeah. yeah, he gets messages from license plates, and he thinks we have a child together. Whoa, oh, whoa. Oh, it goes it's on. like Jodie Foster's uh, stalker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the movie Fate of sure. Attraction. Holy crap. Um, so sorry you have to go through that. <laughs> People are just idiots sometimes. Yes. Well, you know what? It made me, because this went on for quite some time, and... Because he's a psychiatric patient, he is, and I understand this to some degree, not in this case, he's protected. So he would be in an institute. But if they let him out on his medication, I was not informed. That was mm. his right of privacy. And so I had to look over my shoulder a lot. And I thought, this is how deer in the forest and other animals have to always be on their guard that they're about to be taken out. This is true. You've got to look over your shoulder constantly. And Ingrid, since we just talked about all the negative stuff, what about positive stuff? Have there ever been, let's say, big followers of you who, let's say, even proposed to you through email or something? Has there been people like that? <laughs> Michael, I wasn't going to talk about your proposal. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. I, you, oh my. Mike, you never told me. I, I try to keep it quiet. I'm sorry. I made it too public now. I have wonderful people who support the organization, and some people have sent me rather expensive gifts. There we go. Now, properly, I am not to keep those, and I don't, but I will auction them so that the benefit goes to the animals, and that's just really exciting and wonderful. Yeah. Somebody sent me a Stella McCartney cardigan set. Uh, I mean, I buy my clothes in the thrift shop, and <laughs> I looked at this beautiful thing and sort of wept over it for a minute and a half, and then I put it up, <laughs> on, put it up for auction. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, actually... I believe you probably never got a fur coat, leather jacket, or caviar in the mail as well oh for his presents. <laughs> no, but you know, you know, we get, oh gosh, hundreds and hundreds of fur coats a year by people. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. No, no, no. That's they've odd. had a change of heart. And oh, oh, okay. They send them to us, and we send them to a group called Life that sends them to refugees in countries where little children, cut, they're cut up for little children to make coats in the winter because you can't bring the animals back. And I did have a fur coat when I was 19. I was very proud of it. There were no animal rights activists then to hand me a card or have a word in my ear. Different time of life back then. Yeah. Yes, I a very, very different time. And, oh, you know, I own a leather jacket, by the way. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. <laughs> We'll take it. I know. I'm, I might have to give it back, unfortunately. But again, you know, you mentioned being born in England. And um, tell us about that. I, I, I understand you moved to India as well at a very young age. I did. Um, my father was a navigational engineer. And so I was born in the UK. And we traveled around Europe a bit for his job. And then at seven and a half, he went to India because they were fearing a war with China. And he was on a contract. He was a defense missile person, um, which is quite a change from what I do. Sure. And um, I lived in India till I was 16, which wow. was quite an experience. Yeah, exactly. What was that like for you during that time growing up? Well, um, there was an elephant who was around the corner from our house at the oh. Ashoka Hotel. 
cool. And I used to go and hang out with this elephant. Her name was Rani. Oh. And her keeper would let me sit on her back and oh. stroke her and so on. And it wasn't until years later that I learned how horribly they're trained to do that oh. sort of thing and how they don't have a life. But at the time, I thought it was grand. Yes, and I also imagine it probably was a little bit difficult as well, being in such a foreign place. Yeah, um, my mother was always very outspoken, not that you could tell that from me. <laughs> and um, We would go out and if she found, we found a dog who was suffering or a bullock who was pulling a cart who was being beaten, uh, we would take action, always did. It didn't matter if you didn't speak the language. There's a universal language of don't do that and right, a universal right. language of please help this animal. That's wonderful. And did you board a religious school? Oh, gosh, yes. Don't remind me. Oh, no. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> did you really? Well, I mean, for the first two years of high school, I was sent to uh, a school called Patterson Catholic in New Jersey, um, which I failed terribly at because <laughs> I just hated it. Yes. Uh, I was not a private school, Catholic school type of person. I was, was a troublemaker. Was it a boarding school? Not a boarding school, just a regular uh, private high school, which I didn't hmm. want to go to in the first place. But that's a whole other story. So you had half of hell. I had full hell by being in a boarding school nine and a half months of the year. <laughs> was it your parents that were religious? Oh, no, no, no. It was just a question of education. Oh, okay. I see. Um, we were in Delhi, which is very hot in summer. And so these children are sent away into the hills and the mountains to school. Um, there are also parents have cocktail parties and all sorts of things like that. And you don't want the children to be there. So you send them away to boarding school where we, away. <laughs> we, had, we had, it really was like that. We had nuns who were extremely annoyed that oh they had been sent from Ireland to absolutely nowhere in India. And they would hit you. I mean, they they just, any excuse, they'd hit you. Oh, no. Yeah, so they were hitting you out there. Well, yeah, different time of, of life, Michael. That that was a different world back then. Even even when I was a kid, I mean, it, you know, discipline in school in the 70s was a lot more strict than it is today. I mean, Sounds God like forbid. it. Of course, you do something to a child these days, like they call uh, uh, child protection services. Yeah, so you can't really hit kids anymore. No, obviously. you can't. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, my may, goodness. May I ask a question, Michael? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Ingrid, I, I, maybe I've got my information crossed, but you're, were you a police officer or involved with the police at one point before you became the president of PETA? I was. I was a deputy sheriff in Montgomery County, Maryland, with the highest conviction of cruelty to animals cases ever. Good for you. That's yeah. astounding. <laughs> it is pretty Can wild. You tell us can you tell us what years those were? No, because I'd have to look at a calendar. But, <laughs> okay, that's but I'm cool. 70, I'm 73 now, and that was when I was in my 20s. I believe it was so sometime fun. around 1980. I think so, just before that. Just oh, a little before bit before that. that. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to ask a follow-up to that would be, so when exactly did you get involved with PETA? Well, I founded it in 1980, and I was working at the time as the pound master. That's what they called it, different time. The person who runs the D.C. animal shelter, which was called the dog pound. And I had to clean it up because it was a hideous mess with animals who weren't taken care of when they were sick. 
and animals who were just given out for five dollars to anybody who came through the door. So you can imagine what happened to them. So I formed Peter because I read Animal Liberation by Peter Singer. And in it, he says, hang on a minute. You know, we need to not only not kick the dog or tie a firecracker to a cat's tail or stole the horse. We need to think of them as other living beings like ourselves who just look a bit different, but they have eyes, they have hearts, they feel pain, loneliness, joy, and we need to respect them. That's right. And what exactly got you into animal protection exactly initially? Oh, Michael, I was born caring about animals, I think. You know how some people like art or they're good at playing the piano or football or something. I just grew up with a dog who was like my brother. I mean, we went everywhere together. We went in the car together, and we were both sick in the car at the same time. (laughs) And we were just bonded, and I I just always cared about animals. Okay, so, yeah, since the beginning, you've always cared but I was sort of wondering when it was when you first took initiative in the cause. Yeah, yeah. Well, in school, we had two dogs, that school, like the boarding school, and they weren't particularly well cared for. And I went out of my way to sneak food out to them oh, from okay. the dining hall and to try to look after them as best I could, which wasn't very much. But in my childhood, I think I was always one of those kids who's feeding a baby bird who's fallen out of a nest or a squirrel or something like that. And I remember when my father took me to the Taj Mahal, I didn't want to go inside and see the jewels and the architecture because there were chipmunks outside and I wanted to feed them. Oh, wow. You're like me. (laughs) I'd rather (laughs) sit and watch squirrels, birds, and chipmunks rather than go inside and do something else. Yeah, you have this huge pyramid (laughs) in front of you. There was something that happened, to answer your question. When I was about eight, I was having my lunch in Delhi, and I looked out of the big plate glass window in our living room, and I saw this man coming along. He had a bullock cart, you know, these steers, and was loaded with things, and it was very hot. The bullock was stumbling, and the man was picked up his stick, a very thick stick they use, and just bashed him on his back. And the bullock fell, and he was on the ground. And I saw the man pick up the bullock's tail and take that stick and ram it up inside him. Wow. He wanted the bullock to stand, obviously. And I just dropped my spoon. I was eating soup, and I charged out the door. I was eight maybe a little earlier, and raced up, and I wrested that stick from him, and um, I made him kneel on the ground, and I was going to hit him with that stick. I was so livid. I was just beyond. I was. You know how you say when you're angry, a person can pick up a car? Sure. Well, I was like that. I was out of my mind with rage, and uh, luckily, somebody saw me and ran after me and stopped me. And to this day, I wonder what happened to that bull. Ooh, bull! I can't, I can't stop saying it. Bless you, and and all the work that you and your coworkers and everybody that is involved. You're you're bringing great joy. As I hear all these stories, you're bringing great joy to me. Oh, thanks, Michael. Thanks for what everybody does, you included. By the way, but I mean, 
especially for you, you are leading an organization that is hell bent on making things right for animals. And I, I respect that so dearly. You have no idea. Well, thank you. We're trying. We're trying. And if anybody's interested in the slightest thing, any way that they wish to help animals, I mean, anything at all, we hope to be the resource for them to have done the homework, to provide the alternatives, to help them through it, to make life easy so that they can help animals. That's why we're here. Good for you. By the way, Ingrid, I was just curious, um, your time being a sheriff, what exactly got you to sort of uh, leave that line of work? Oh, I was only in it because I wanted to learn law enforcement, because I wanted to prosecute cruelty to animals. So I had to go to rookie school and, you know, do all sure, the other yeah. things, transport prisoners. and But that wasn't where my heart was. My oh, heart I was I wanted to know the law inside and out so I could do something for animals with the law. And so I formed the Cruelty Investigation Department um, at the Humane Society and then went on to take people to court for cruelty. Very nice. I'm sure your dad was quite proud of you hearing about that. I don't know. Oh, no. He wasn't proud of you being a sheriff. <laughs> I think my parents used to think, why isn't she a veterinarian? And I said, no, I'm a social worker for animals. And I think they went, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so they, yeah, they didn't really get it then at first. At first, no, not at all. Understand. And... You know, I was reading more about you, and of course, I came up on some uh, certain articles that were quite interesting to me. Of course, you met this man named Alex Pacheco. Yes, indeed. He was a student, and he came. I was running the dog pound, as I mentioned, and he came and helped me there. And I had read the Singer book, so I was vegetarian. And he said to me, what's that you're putting in your tea? And I said, it's condensed milk. And he said don't you care about cows? And I said, yes, but they don't kill the cows for milk, do they? And he said, where do you think the retirement home is for all the dairy cows? Of course they do. And he said, in the meantime, don't you realize that they take the calves away from their mothers who love them so that we can have that milk as pizza topping and your condensed milk? And I thought, oh, no, I didn't realize that. So he made me a vegan. Wow. So it was his influence then that got you to become a vegan, give up the meat forever. Yeah, because I remember one thing he said to me was, you wouldn't eat veal, would you? And I said, nobody eats veal. No, of course not. When I was seven, my mother saw the pictures of how veal calves are raised in confinement. Oh. And my father loved veal cordon bleu, but she said, we're not having veal in this house anymore. People know about veal. He said, well, why do you think <laughs> they take the baby, the boys away from their mothers? What do they do with them? They become veal. So you are helping the veal industry. I said, oh, gosh. Right. I, I, may I ask a question? I'm sorry. And I'm going to be the devil's advocate when I, I ask this question. How how do you uh, – how do I put this? How I mean, it, I, obviously, you're talking with two guys here who still eat meat, who still have leather cat, coats and that sort of thing. And I can appreciate how you can still speak with us and, and <laughs> how, you know, I mean, be respectful. And that's what it's all about. That's what this country is about. That's what humanity should be about. But how do you feel about these, about people in, in when they're doing things that are opposite in what your lifestyle might be? It, it, does it really bother you that much? Do you have a problem? Have you lost friends? 
I don't think I've lost friends because I think we overestimate uh, our own species. We think that if you just say something to someone that makes sense, they'll embrace it. And we know from everything, from politics to who knows what, that people have their own ideas, people like convenience, people fight against change. Now, I was in the Seattle airport and there was a cup at the coffee shop that said, if you don't like change, leave yours here. <laughs> I thought that's very clever. <laughs> but that's good. Um, people, people resist. You automatically, I've automatically resisted change all my life like everybody else. And so advertising people say someone has to hear a new idea that even if it makes absolute sense seven times before it really sinks in. So you hear it on the radio, somebody says something, you read it, you see an ad, all that stuff. So I know that we are slow learners because I was an incredibly slow learner. And I'm sure there are things I haven't done yet that I'll look back on and think, what was wrong with you that you didn't get that? Well, if I may, if I may, just a follow up to that, how do you feel about the evolution of humankind having been omnivore species uh, eating both meat and vegetation? How I mean, how do you put that into perspective with the society that we live in today where we're more conscious about what we eat and put into our bodies and, of course, about the ethical treatment of animals? So. Again, how do you like what what's your theory? Like believing that and I'm assuming you believe that in evolution. Yes. No. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. OK. So, again, humanity grew up throughout the millenniums having been this omnivorous. I don't even know if that's the right word. Omnivore species. Again, your, your thoughts on that. Well, I don't think we um, are omnivores because we think we're supposed to be. We, I don't think we eat meat because so we think, oh, gosh, yes, I'm an omnivore. I should have a bit now and then. I think we eat meat because we grew up uh, getting adjusted to the taste of it, and then we came to love it. I mean, no one ever says to you, um, oh, God, I couldn't live without broccoli, <laughs> you know? But That's true. People say, I can't imagine a world without cheese. And you think, yeah, that's because it has casomorphines in it, which do a little something to make you feel good in your brain. Um, but I think we eat now as if we are total gluttons, as if we have no ethical principles sometimes because it feels good. We like it. Other people are doing it, that kind of thing. But if you talk to someone like or read, I guess you can't talk to him, um, Professor Leakey, you know, one of the biggest anthropologists, if not the biggest anthropologist we've known, he goes on about how we have fingers instead of claws, claws for meat-eating carnivorous animals, fingers to pluck. Um, we have, we don't have these big canines that say tigers and other, we have grinding teeth like cattle who are vegetarian. Um, if you look at other primates' diets, like chimpanzees and monkeys, some of them eat meat by attacking other monkeys sometimes or small animals, but mostly they eat fruits and nuts and all sorts of things like that. So I'm not sure it really matters what we think about where we came from. My interest would be in the evolution of us ethically, is that we look around and we think, 
There's a lot to eat out there, and I don't think I need this chop. I agree. And, and you know, not for nothing, I, I mean, there are other countries, particularly countries that are either third world or just poor in general, uh, who, India, there you go. I mean, India, there are, there aren't too many gluttons in those types of countries. In America, everywhere you look is food, 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 24 hours this, 24 hour supermarket, you know, one on every corner. So we are essentially habitually addicted to getting food at any point in time of the day. And we just stuff ourselves. Easy access. Easy access, Mike. Well, it's access. beyond easy access too. It's that the, and I mean, I'm not talking, you know, anti-corporate or anything like that. Sure, this sure. is just a fact. I said to someone a couple of years ago when we were, I was traveling a lot, you go to an airport, you have to walk a mile through fast food restaurants to get <laughs> to right. the gate. You know, and, and who can say no? I mean, there's a funnel cake, there's a this, there's a that. It's just ice cream. It's nonstop. So you have to have a steel constitution, steel brain to think, no, 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 I'm going to my gate. Discipline. It's, yeah, it's discipline. But this is not by accident that people are trying to sell us stuff and we're falling for it because we're weak. I mean, we just think, oh, that would be nice. And then off we go. Well, the corporations have such a stronghold um, in America. I mean, we have the highest obesity of any country in the world, I would say. Yeah, it's awful. That's it's pretty awful. crazy if you think about it. Absolutely. We actually had to come up with something here called fat shaming because there were so many people. <laughs> That's who so were, non-PC. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's non-PC now because there's so many people who are obese. Our, yeah. our rate of obesity is so high that we had to, instead of correct it, we had to come up with a way to stop people talking about it. And it shouldn't be shameful. That That's shameful, I think. But it shouldn't be shameful. It should be something correctable. Well, you know, I agree you with know, you the, on that the, stance, 100%. I mean, absolutely. lots of people yeah, you, you are know, Michael, very unhealthy. About, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying people nowadays are extremely unhealthy. And, you know, growing right. up, my parents would be like, you know, you're getting a little heavy there. And nowadays, yeah, you know, that nowadays that's the frowned thing. upon these days. But, you know, growing up, you know, they would definitely tell me that, you know, you're looking a little heavy there. You're putting a little bit more weight. Um, some people would say, well, that's not right that your parents did that. But these were different times. I, I think if you're over – we've discussed this. Sure. Michael, if you're overweight, it's because – not I mean, not to that shame anyone. But if you're overweight, that's unhealthy. That's not right for humanity. Well, it's yeah, unhealthy. The thing is, you know, people say, well, it could be genetic. It could be this. We don't have all these genetic faults here in our country that the majority of people almost now are overweight or obese. And people are desperately all in the gym and running and so on to try yeah. to keep it off. It's food. It's pure and simple food. It's processed food. It's fried food. It's meat. It's cheese. These are the things that are putting on the pounds. And if people go to... A diet that's low in fat and that's vegan, the weight, unless they truly do have a genetic defect or problem, right. it drop, the weight just disappears. So, right. duh. Yeah, I agree. That's why when I hear this thing, you know, this PC comment about, oh, you're fat shaming. I'm not, why would you want to be 350 pounds overweight from stuffing pizza, cheese, and, you know, Cheetos down your throat? I mean, you got to be conscious of these things. That is not how humanity works. 
was developed. They also say it's yeah. linked to depression as well. Uh, it could be. It could yeah. be a little yeah, bit hey, of both. I, I've been there. You've been there. Sure. But you you got to make the effort to keep the weight off it. I mean, yeah, I love ice cream. I love chocolate. But and if I see myself getting too much of it, I got I got to step out. Yeah, right. yeah. You're giving up. Yeah, you're giving it too much. But anyway, back to the conversation. Yes. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's quite quite insane the world we live in today. But you know, just to uh, go back for one second when we're talking about monkeys and. Alex there, you know, I still recall first hearing about the Silver Spring Monkeys case in the late 90s, you know, a little bit after the fact. And of course, at that time, I didn't know how severe it actually was. Hell, I was still learning about ham going into space, let alone monkeys being tortured like that. Yeah, that, well, the first chapter of Free the Animals is about the Silver Spring Monkeys case. You know, I, I go into how that was so exciting to be able to open up a laboratory so that people could actually see what was going on inside what turned out was this stinking warehouse yeah. where a psychologist with no medical training, no veterinary training at all, was opening up the backs of monkeys, rendering their arms useless, and then electroshocking them so that they would be forced, if they could, to pick a raisin out of a tray. I mean, total rubbish, lots of money from the taxpayer, and here these monkeys were kept in these small, rusted, filth-encrusted cages where oh. sometimes they would go without food for three days. That was oh. our first big case. That was that was the one that cracked everything That was open. a major one. And those photos, if, if anyone has not seen those photos, they are very disturbing. Humans are very dangerous, by the way. You didn't know that oh, already. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't I, even look at those pictures. They, they just upset me. Don't so do much. it. So don't bad. do it. They're real bad. <laughs> I put a few of them in the book, Free the Animals, but I also put the happy happy pictures in there because every single story in the book is about a real life. Every fact is, is there except the names have been changed. Um, not of the labs. Those are the real names of the labs, but the people who went in and got the animals out. And so I've got the little monkey britches who had had his eyes sewn shut oh, yikes. in a study. Yes. It was supposed to be a, catch this, human blindness. Well, he's not human, and oh. he's not blind. You just made him blind by stitching his eyelids shut. Right. Anyway, they got him out, and he went to a veterinarian. He was looked after. He was rehabilitated. And he's there because he was cold. He was small, and he was cold. They got him in a little knitted dress and it's you couldn't see a cuter picture if you try you know i gotta say it, you know what really perplexes me all my life how what it takes for a person or people or a group to do the unnecessary unnecessary horrific torturous things to animals i i could i i mean i know kids can do things like that but they're not taught properly like i yeah. did stupid things when i was a kid burning ants with a magnifying glass but you know as i got to my teen years i began to love animals in fact i wanted to be a veterinarian but again the, I, I just can't see how people can do that to any living creature well mike there's a strange thing i found this out years ago and i think it does explain some things because you know this uvaldi texas uh shooter yeah he had tortured cats and oh. Every single, every, every single school shooter had a history of cruelty to animals that people ignored. People went, oh, that's just him, or that's what he likes to do, or that's sick butt. 
Every single one of them has a history we could learn from. It's called the link. But what I learned some years ago is there's a thing called a mirror neuron. You may know this in your brain. Yes. And the mirror neuron, as you know, uh, allows you to put yourself in someone else's place. And so you wouldn't do unto them what you wouldn't want done unto you. Yourself. Right? Unless Just, you're insane exactly. already, yeah. But some people, and I mean, you see this in serial killers, sure. is that they actually think it's funny that someone is screaming while they're being tortured or killed. They, is they, they don't have the mirror neuron or they have an un- or underdeveloped mirror neuron, so they cannot empathize. It's just not there. It's it's a almost a birth defect. Right. You see many cases like that with serial killers. It's all quite documented that a lot of them were into torturing animals and so forth. It's quite quite sad and uh, shocking that these things do occur um, everywhere. Some cultures uh, are a little bit more cruel than others when it comes to the treatment of animals, as we all know. And, um, but before we let go of the whole monkey thing and all of that, um, going back to Alex for one second, when was the last time you spoke to Alex, by the way? Oh, I think about a year ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So okay. quite recently. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Michael, but we need to tell the listeners who Alex is. Alex, Alex Pacheco? Alex is the co-founder yes. of Peter. He was a George Washington University student who came along, made me a vegan by shaming me <laughs> about putting milk in my coffee. And together we formed Peter. He immediately left to go to Alaska to study whales. But anyway, we formed Peter. That's cool. I, I just wanted to make sure the listeners knew who Alex was. Sorry, Michael. I didn't mean to interrupt you, buddy. No worries. And of course, as I was mentioning earlier, you faced all sorts of criticism and uh, been a part of various allegations made about uh, Peter members as well. I think it all came from, you know, the doings of the Huffington Post. It seems like you really pissed people off over there. I'm not sure what that was about. I mean, we do upset a lot of people. We upset anybody who uses animals in the circus, in the fur trade, you know, in the meat business. We've got a lot of enemies. You do. And so, yes. so you know, you, you take the – it doesn't really matter. To me, it's water off a duck's back. The message is strong. <laughs> it's still it's there. Right, it's honest. It's fair. And it's kind. All I'm asking people to do is – be considerate, be respectful, be kind, and don't impose any unnecessary violence on animals. So if you object to that, you know, you've got to have a vested interest somewhere in continuing to do that or support what comes from it. Absolutely. And of course, you get criticism for the over-the-top exhibitions, which can be debatable. It's subjective, in my opinion. Is it a little shocking? Um, sure. Is it a little wild? I would say sometimes you have to be. Shock value works for a reason. But you know, Michael, one thing is it's shocking because it's hidden from people. That's right. And it's not yeah. as if we are creating this shock. What we're doing, and a famous president said this a long time ago, is I just tell the truth and they think it's hell is that you just show the reality of what's happening. And people go, oh, don't show me. I can't look at that. That's too horrible. I don't want to see that shocking. That's light. That's reality. It doesn't have to be that way. And we won't show you an image if somebody isn't doing that to an animal. But people can only get involved if they see what's happening in the labs, in the slaughterhouses, on the transport trucks, in the fur farms. If they see 
and they're kind, they'll think, oh, I need to help do something to stop that. Well, not and, everyone, yeah, uh, not I, everyone's into, yeah, not everyone's yeah, into you know, it. Yeah. You know, not everyone's yeah. into this sort of thing, you know, knowing the truth, knowing where the food comes from, knowing how bacon is made, uh, all these sort of things. No one really likes to contemplate that sort of thing. That's kind of the issue with, not just with, with uh, animal rights or anything, but with everything, no one really likes to know the truth sometimes. You're absolutely right. And I think that's why we also get criticism because we take a lighthearted approach too, because not everything is for everyone. Right. And so we'll have humor, we'll have jokes, um, we'll have, you know, cute things. Um, we do that sort of stuff too to draw people in so they'll have a laugh or they'll think that's pretty or, because there are so many wonderful alternatives that are lovely and cute and pretty. Well, you know, if I may say what what we were just talking about, about how you've been, you've had so many people against you, but you've had so many people for you. The one thing you can definitely say is that with the introduction of the internet, the message has been spread so more, so much more, uh, so much more wider than ever before. I mean, you know, how did I even get into PETA? I remember, I remember I, I visited my father a couple of years ago, my parents, when they were both alive. And they, my father had from in the mail a, uh, a letter from a company that was saving wolves and they were going to throw it out. So I took it. I began donating to that fund, and then from there I began to get all these other <laughs> organizations, including PETA and, and the Humane Society, and oh my god, there's so many others. And I just started donating to all of them. So there is that aspect, of, you know, I'm talking about mail here, but prior to that, the internet, I'm assuming, must have been such an easier or better thing and an easier way for you guys to reach the masses. Oh, boy. Yeah, we went from handing a pamphlet out on the street to somebody to being able to reach 100,000, 500,000, a million views for one video clip on the Internet. So the ability to spread the message and show everyone who wants to see what's going on is just phenomenal. It's the total game changer. You're absolutely right. Now I'm going to lose some people here, Ingrid, so bear with me. What I mean by that is I'm going to lose lots of uh, listeners here and people that follow the show uh, with what I'm going to say here, but uh, just bear with me. Now, I don't know how you feel about this. I don't know how Mike feels about this. I don't know how you feel about this, but I got to be honest, and I need to sort of be careful with how I word this, but I know a certain dog uh, lovers out there will take great offense to this. However, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. And I got to be honest, I have grown to dislike pit bulls, been around plenty of them. I've been around dog breeders and the worst ones have always been uh, pit bulls, the breeders themselves as well. And they are truly vicious. And I know some people will say, well, my dog hasn't bit anyone. My dog is this and that. Well, we all know it. It takes just one, one incident and those dogs tend to lose it. And I personally seen it happen. And I don't always go by statistics, but on this occasion, I saw some alarming figures. And evidently, pit bulls are severely deadly to other animals and humans more than any other dog breed in existence. Um, how do you feel about pit bulls in general, Ingrid? Well, first, I adore them. And I can think of two um, dogs who I took away from their owner and had sterilized. One was called Escobar and one was called Nano. 
and they were chained up in this dirt patch in a backyard in Norfolk, Virginia. And I just fell in love with both of them. We deal with more pit bulls than any other animal because we work in poverty-stricken areas of Upper North Carolina, where almost everybody has in low-income areas a pit bull on a chain in the backyard. They suffer terribly. They do. In the heat, in storms, in tornadoes, in the cold, they are neglected. But having said that, you cannot, if you're honest, you cannot get away from the fact that the pit bull was especially bred by human beings to attack bulls, to be focused on a kill target, to go for the jugular or the artery in the leg. They They were built to be muscular. They were built not to be distracted when they're on target. And I would not leave as as much as I would love them and never have seen them do anything bad in my in their lives. I would not have a baby or a young child and a pit bull because you are right. The most fatal and terrible injury cases, most are pit bulls. And you can love pit bulls to from here to the end of the earth. But humans bred them to do that. And you cannot usually get them off a target if for some reason, who knows why, they're triggered and you do not know what that is. That's true. And I've seen dog breeders with them, of course, and I've seen what they do to their dogs as well. And, you know, they, one of them kept, yeah, one of them kept them, kept uh, this female locked in a cage basically, but that's because she was insane. You know, she would attack anything and even the owner sometimes. Yeah, it's not I the mean, case the with every. The way that pits are, yeah. are, are treated is is absolutely horrendous. You remember Hurricane Katrina? We were down yeah. in Louisiana, which one is one of the key pit bull breeding places for fighting dogs. Oh. And those people who bred them often just left them there, and they left them in cages and kennels, and they most of them drowned. Oh, A lot oh of my. them were taken out. And they were not placeable. And the people who are fanatical about we must save every pit bull with just saying, oh, we've got to save them. We've got to save them. And you think, okay, where are you going to put a hyper-aggressive, bred for aggression, fighting pit bull? Um, you, any cat, any small dog, any child, you can't have them in the home. I mean, what are you going to do? So I think sense has to play a role here. Absolutely. And again, not to make everyone hate me here by saying, you know, I dislike the breed. It's just I've been around uh, the breed for such a long time and known breeders. And it's just a it's just a, a certain breed of animal that or dog rather that I just feel a little uneasy around knowing what they're of capable of. Yeah, I do. Too. Yeah. Millions of dollars. I, have been. Wrong. I, I love them. I, I love all animals. Sure. No matter what what they do to people or not. I mean, these are animals. They're not people. They're animals. They're innocent. But as you said, they are bred to be vicious. And right. it is that, it's the fault of people having bred such a creature. Again, I, I can't place the blame on the animal. Yes, they are aggressive, but only instinctually as a result of breeding. Yeah, millions yeah, of and dollars. And you know, Mike, people will say, oh, it's, it's not, it's how they are treated. And it isn't how they are treated 
I mean, that certainly is a factor with any dog who is mistreated. They may react in, in a way you don't want them to. But that isn't the problem. The problem is how they were created. Pit bulls did not exist until humans came along and wanted a fighting dog. Sure. And bred all those characteristics into them. It wasn't yesterday. It wasn't five years ago. It was long, long ago in my native country, England. And it's a horrible thing that happened. But if you're, you're going to adopt a dog, you know, there's an overpopulation crisis in this country. You don't, if you have to choose a dog, you don't have to choose a pit bull. I think a lot of people choose one because they think that makes me look as if, you know, I've got a tough dog. That's <laughs> it's true. status. You know, what, not to interrupt you, but um, I used to have a cockatoo, uh, which I adopted from a family who, who had uh, somebody was allergic to the dander. Anyway. I adopted a cockatoo, and I was informed that cockatoos are one of the most returned birds in the birding industry as yeah. a result of them being incredibly emotional and needy as as well as being very, very loud. But I have to say my bird was the best of – I uh, he died unexpectedly, long story. But my point is, yeah, there are certain animals that um, people get for status. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, especially especially the pit bull. We should not have birds in captivity. You know, long ago someone said it puts all heaven in a rage to see a bird in a cage. I mean, what is a bird but a living being who flies? It's integral to their very existence. And we think, you look pretty. I'm going to put you in a see-through box and keep you in my living room. You're going to hate me then because (laughs) I love birds. Mike has a million birds, by the way. (laughs) It's a zoo over there. They but better I've, be rescues. Yeah, they're all adopted. I've every animal I've ever had, I've adopted, with the exception of two that I had to buy um, because they were in love with me, so I had to take them home. Um, but every bird I ever got was adopted, including the parrot, cockatiel, and the par- parakeet that I currently have. Good. All rescues. That's, right. a, that's a good and thing. Do they have flight cages? That's so oh, yeah. important. Yes. yes. My my parrot, especially, I have a macaw, a, a blue and gold macaw. Oh. So uh, he, he was 24 when I adopted him. He had plucked out all his uh, chest feathers, leg feathers, yep. back feathers because he was neglected for about two decades uh, until he came to me. And I have – that bird is so happy. He's got a nice big cage. He's outside the cage all the time. In fact, he's Good. out right now. I built perches for him on the porch. Sorry. I don't mean to take away the interview, Michael. I'm just saying. Uh, but yeah, all my animals are adopted including including my cats and my snake. Well, that's fabulous. I mean, you can't put a macaw back in the jungle. So what can you do? You can offer a home, but capturing them and bringing them here and selling them and then sticking them in a cage because they're pretty is definitely out of bounds. I agree. More of the story. Adopt a rescued bird and not a pit bull. Millions of dollars will be saved (laughs) in insurance liability claims. Um, Keep that in mind, folks. My goodness. And, um, Ingrid, I got to ask you, what what is your opinion on zoos in general? Well, some are good and some are bad. I mean, some have really been helpful in trying to take in animals who have come from or help with their expertise in condemning animal uh, abuse in roadside zoos, you know, these trashy dumps along yeah. the side of the road. Um, and some are really bad, and they've killed animals unnecessarily. They've brought animals in from overseas, Zimbabwe, elephants, and so on, when they have no business doing so. 
We're wrapping up now, aren't we? Yes, I didn't realize yes, the time has flown. We're winding down here, indeed. That's exactly what we're doing. And that's why I'm asking you these uh, sort of random questions. Like, uh, in fact, uh, what do you think of the running of the bulls in Spain? <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not a participant. Um, right. <laughs> no, you know, a hundred, this is really good, over a hundred small towns in Spain have banned the bullfight. And Ooh, yeah. Modern Spaniards, I mean, young Spaniards don't want to go to the bullfight. And a lot of these arenas have been turned into football stadiums and other things. The running of the bulls is a stupid, macho, drunken thing where (laughs) young men who don't know any better, their brains haven't fully developed yet, come from Australia, Germany, all over the world to run with the bulls. The bulls are stampeded, and that night they're killed in the bull ring. It's going to stop, and we are vigorously protesting it with the help of people in Spain. I don't see how that's fun, by the way. Change of times. Yeah, change of times indeed. And I don't exactly know how that could be fun to do, to be honest. Running with wild bulls. That's that's crazy. Testosterone, macho, drunken guys who I get out there and show how macho they are. And they mess with a bunch of bulls. It's a bunch of idiots. It's pretty dumb. But um, Ingrid, uh, do you ever cheer when a bull strikes a human? Or is that just me? <laughs> me too, Mike. I think it's amusing. I think it's amusing seeing a human being knocked into the air by a bull. Since, you know, under their free will, wanting to run around with an animal. And sometimes you get what you deserve. Yeah, it's still not fair because the bull didn't ask to participate. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. I, I'm always the one who cheers when an animal... <laughs> kicks the ass of some hunter or bullfighter <laughs> it's pretty funny yeah! <laughs> so ingrid uh, are you into movies or, or television at all i'm not really i do like a good film but i don't have that much time but i will say free the animals the book has been acquired by the rights to it have been acquired by joaquin phoenix and he's going to make it into a film wow where very nice they, where can they get this book it's on Amazon.com. Uh, be sure and get the 30th um, edition, 30-year edition, because the original is still there. And this one is updated and has an afterword by a neuroscientist who is really fascinating and a foreword by Joaquin himself. Very nice. I had no idea he was that involved. And, of course, everyone has downtime from their immediate pursuits. What do you enjoy doing when you're out and away from all things PETA? Uh, I like wearing to... fur and eating meat. <laughs> and wearing the right. leather jacket. <laughs> I'd like to sit on the beach with a pina colada, but actually what nice. happens is I end up in bed with a nice cup of tea and a crossword puzzle. Uh, understood. And, of course, as we wind down here, I just wanted to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. I had a great time. I hope you enjoyed your time here with us, Ingrid. We We definitely invite you back on whenever you'd like. Yes, please. Oh, it was great fun. And now we'll hear from the trolls. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> that comes with everything. So, Ingrid, uh, go ahead and uh, plug anything you'd like. Uh, plug the book. Plug any future projects you have in the works you just did right now. But um, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Any final words? Let it all out. Well, thank you, Michael. So much going on. I mean, we're closing down a laboratory breeder um, at the moment. We've got... Um, Just so many things in the works. We just freed this wonderful chimpanzee called Tonka, who had been abducted from an entertainment place. Go to peter.org if you want anything that we can help you with to help animals. We're there. 
from recipes to alternatives to dissection, clothing guides, cosmetics guides, you name it. My book is Free the Animals. It's the amazing true story of the animal liberation front in North America. Everything's true in it. It's just novelized to protect the raiders. And it's at peter.org too and on amazon.com. And there she goes. That was Ingrid Newkirk. And Mike, that was quite phenomenal. Oh, what an awesome person. I, I'm, I, I'm just moved by what she's done for animals over the years. Yeah, we have lots of respect for her, no doubt. I'm sure she knew that going in. And it's pretty insane that we actually got to talk to the founder of PETA, which I didn't yeah. think would ever happen. I w- when you told me we were going to do this, I was not shocked. I mean, I'm glad we did it, but I was kind of surprised like wow the president of PETA that's great I I was really excited for this interview yes I have lots of respect for her she's quite admirable and you know she's a bit of a radical which is what we like here yeah no doubt she's pretty (laughs) pretty radical I would have to say I forgot to mention that to her but yeah she's pretty badass in her own right (laughs) nice yes so Mike uh, you know it's been a honor and pleasure to be doing the show with you here any final words of go ahead and plug anything you like before we wrap it up Sure. Uh, real quick, uh, MikeHideous.com, M-Y-K-E, Hideous.com, uh, my Facebook uh, fan page, Facebook.com slash Hideous Mike, M-Y-K-E, and uh, my artwork, uh, what the heck is it, uh, Spyman Art, uh, I'm sorry, SpymanPhotoAndArt.com. Last but not least, my book will be going, my manuscript will be going to press very shortly in the next month. Uh, we're hopefully in this month, and uh, I'm assuming it'll be out by mid midsummer. So, if you're interested, just uh, follow the Facebook page I just gave you, and you can find out when it comes out. It'll only be available through mykidias.com. Very nice, Mike. Well, once again, thanks for being here. We will do it again on the other side, my friend. Thanks, buddy. All right, talk to you soon. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Mike Hideous, my co-host. And, of course, we'd like to thank all of you out there for listening to this episode. And, of course, our guest, Ingrid Newkirk. We enjoyed having her on. No doubt. That was a great interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. I do want to thank all of you out there for supporting the program. Those of you on Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Definitely go sign up if you haven't. That's where gold falls from the sky as I like to say, and boys and girls, we will return very soon to you live. I apologize that we haven't been doing it live, but we'll be back better than ever. I do hope the best for all of you out there, no matter where you are on this island earth. That said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. An accident claimed her daughter's lives. Her husband's life hangs in the balance, and Rue feels like she's losing her mind. A brand new psychological thriller from author Eve S. Evans, available for pre-order today. As Rue tries to figure out how to be alone in the family home, strange noises, voices, and shadows reveal themselves to her. More questions bubble to the surface. Are Rue's daughters haunting her? If so, why? 
And why can't she remember what happened when they went off the bridge into the icy water below? Beneath the Water, a psychological thriller. Available on Amazon June 29, 2022. By author Eve S. Evans.